If you hear this sound, that means this episode is also featured on our YouTube channel as a video. Head over to www.youtube.com slash keepitweirdpodcast to check it out. Warning. This episode contains foul language, accidental deaths, domestic abuse, and a lot of bad luck. Keep It Weird, the podcast for all things strange and unusual, unlucky and doomed, pitiful, unfortunate, and everything in between. Each week we sit down together from across the country and we talk about something weird. And this week is no exception, of course, as we continue on during the absolute best month of the year with another super fun Halloween episode. This spooktacular month, we get to bring on guests for the first time this season, pretty much, and chat about all things beautifully bizarre. But watch out! It is Friday the 13th. Don't walk under a ladder and be extra careful around mirrors today. I'm not going to warn you about black cats because we love black cats here on this podcast and you should pick one up and cuddle it. But you do not want a horrible streak of bad luck in your life. Like the people in today's stories we are about to share, we are bringing you some of the most unfortunate stories experienced by people without a lick of luck, it seems, from around the world. And then you can help us in deciding who really is the unluckiest person in the world and why are they so unlucky. What a way to celebrate Friday the 13th. My name is Lauren. This is my lovely co-host, Ashley slash Catwoman. Hi, weirdos. Meow. Meow. And joining us today, we're bringing back a fan favorite, one of the funniest and brightest humans that we love to make just a little bit mad sometimes. The love of Ashley's life, it is Handsome Joe! Hey, 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 hey! Hey, hey, hey! Hi, everybody! Hey, hey, hey! Hello, Joe, welcome back! It's good, it's good to be here, everybody. I, uh, it's been a hiatus. <laughs> I've been doing some stuff. I've been out there in the world. It's terrible out there. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, no one go outside. Don't go outside. (laughs) Don't do it. It's the worst. It's the purge 24-7 out there. So happy to have you back on this. It's good to be here. I missed you. I, I, I missed you both. I actually haven't seen Ashley since the last time I recorded an episode of Keep It Weird. Yeah. It's a very oh. strange clause we have in our marriage contract where uh, <laughs> only recording. So days this is good. I've actually I, I missed my wife a lot, so it's really good to be <laughs> oh. here. Glad you can be together. Yes, yeah. L- liter- literally together. The uh, the quest. They're gonna break their necks. The quest to find my wireless earbuds did not go well this morning. Sure didn't. So here, so here we are, <laughs> conjoined twins, <laughs> sitting so sharing close together. sharing one pair of headphones. <laughs> Like we're on a Peter Pan bus in 2004, and I just got my new iPod, and I want to show you how it works. 
little iPod. Yeah. My iPod. And shovel. you're showing her a new song, like a punk song. Yeah, no, like, we're we're listening. Listen. We're listening to the Shins together right now, <laughs> yeah. like it's Garden State. Have you heard of them? Yeah. That's how you're gonna rope her. Ever in. heard of them? Also, yes. Also, we have Ashley looking fabulous as Catwoman. Oh my God, like, so far. Cat ears off to you. Thank it you. is wonderful, but. Joe, tell us about you. I I want to say Top Gun, but, but you, is there... you're close. We're actually we're gonna I'm I'm gonna go with Bottom Gun this year. <laughs> bottom Gun. All the all the top pilots were shot down over China, and unfortunately, <laughs> they need to get volunteers, a la Randy Quaid in Independence Day. Randy so, Quaid is actually so, one of the bottom guns. So that's me. So it's I am, Joe. I am bottom Randy gun. Randy Quaid. I got a six-hour. Dennis hour, Quaid. I got a six-hour <laughs> crash course on how to fly an FA-18, and I will uh, almost certainly be bottom crashing gun. shortly. We got him. We got Are bottom, you bottom gun, gun here with because us because you're wearing a Nostromo alien jumpsuit. No, I wasn't oh. even. No, this Ooh. is just that was going to go uh, unspoken. That this is uh, technically inappropriate. Continue. You look fantastic. It's good to be here. I get to wear sunglasses, which is uh, one of my favorite things to do on a recording. Windows to the soul and all that. that. You don't get to see in yep. these eyes. No way. You want to see in no. these eyes? You don't get to pay. You don't get to. Eyes. You got to pay. Actually, you gotta pay join to our see Patreon. These eyes. www.patreon.com slash keepitweirdpodcast. And we'll show you Joe's eyes. You want to want to see the baby blues? <laughs> show me the green. We need we need to add that as a new tier. If you donate twenty five dollars, John will Joe, show Joe you will Joe's eyes. Joe his eye color to you in exchange for a pledge oh. of five dollars a month. That also, so I'm trying to hide the fact that I got a Christmas <laughs> Why mug. Why did you have so many spoons? Of all the mugs. Of all the mugs you could have chosen, have it is October, it's Friday the 13th. Just grab the mug. You brought in a Christmas <laughs> tree. Don't you get should your just get the hell out of here. Don't get your tinsel in a tangle. Hey, you know what? That's sound advice oh. 365. All right, it doesn't have yeah, to be Christmas that's true. for that to Don't get your no, tinsel in a tangle. Just, that's just good advice. Well, happy Friday the 13th, you freaks. Yeah. Um, we, Bunch of freaks. <laughs> we did a Friday the 13th episode back in season one. It was episode uh, six of season one, Bloody Sophie, Bloody Sophie, Bloody Sophie. Oh, yes. <laughs> what if a pregnant, beautiful Chinese woman just popped up behind us? I know. Three times. I love you, Sophie. Because Sophie is pregnant, um, for anyone who doesn't oh, yeah, follow. Yes. Um, Sophie's going to have a baby. Inside. I'm very excited Yay. to be her little boy. So Yay. in that episode, we cover the origins of Friday the 13th, why people think Friday the 13th is cursed, um, mirrors, letters, cats. Those mirrors, you know, <laughs> those all mirrors. All of the above. But we didn't really get into people who have had Woof. really bad luck. So today we're going to be giving you a list of probably about 10 people who might have the worst luck in the world. And at the end of this episode, we're going to try and rank them to see who is the unluckiest person. Are you guys ready? I'm ready. I'm so ready. You have your ready. unlucky folks. Oh, Great. yeah. I'm going to go first. Yeah. Yay. And I'm, Kitty cat. I'm going to start with uh, the person that, ooh, she's really high up there. Her name is Anne Hodges. Ooh. Anne Hodges is the only human being in recorded history to be hit by a meteorite. That stinks. In <laughs> Oops. That's, oh, that's a bummer. That's a real. <laughs> mm, that's a bad We got an early contender Tuesday. for a winner. If you're the only person I... ever that anything has happened to, you're instantly toward the top. 
<laughs> I know. I was going to say, I'm sorry to jump the gun, but I, I think she, she wins. She wins. Yeah. Thanks for yeah. listening, right. everybody. Anyways, yeah, thank We'll you. see you next we'll time. See you next week. So on November 30th, 1954, at 2.46 p.m., this was in Alabama, 34-year-old Ann Hodges was curled up on the couch taking a nap. She had her little, she had her, you know, her quilted blankets on her. She was curling up into the afternoon uh, when an 8.5-pound, 4.5-billion-year-old meteorite shot like a bullet through her house uh, and... Actually banging into and destroying her large radio console and then bouncing onto her body. So luckily it wasn't a direct hit oh, to geez. her body because yeah. then she probably would be in pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it still yeah. left like the gnarliest bruise I have ever seen. Like it still hit her. Like, well, yeah, it traveled for four and a half billion years <laughs> to get to her. That, that thing had some inertia behind it. This billion year old meteorite was like, Anne, it's yeah, you. I'm coming. That is insanity. I'm coming for, I'm coming you. for you. Uh, according wow. to Michael Reynolds, a Florida State College astronomer, you have a better chance of getting hit by a tornado and a bolt of lightning and a hurricane at the same time. <laughs> that so sounds just right. So you know how rare it is to be hit by a meteorite. So Anne was in the house with her mother at the time, and they didn't know what happened. So, like, obviously, like, something happened. Like, there was a big bang. Right. The house was full of dust. They actually thought that possibly the chimney had collapsed or a space heater oh. had blown up because they didn't know. They were just like, holy shit, yeah. there's dust what everywhere. What just happened? That's also wild. They called the 911, basically, and uh, uh, emergency services showed up. By the time emergency services showed up, they had found the rock. Mm -hmm. So they knew that that has, was what happened, What was what fell through the roof. But what's funny is there's a little tidbit. There's a little drama. Uh-oh. Oh, love that, we love, love that a drama. Scandal. Spill the tea. About who got to keep the meteorite because. I feel like the lady who got hit with it should have first. Anne. Kids. It what should be I Anne. Said, but they rented the house. So the uh, landlord said they thought uh, they had the right to keep. Just like a fucking just landlord. Like a fucking landlord, dude. That is like, typical so landlady typical. bullshit. The landlady said it. she thought she had the rights to it. They ended up having to go to court. Anne ended up paying $500. 1950s dollars. In That's... order to keep Damn. the meteor. Anne, she had to pay $900 for a bruised for, side. Yeah, oh, gosh. Side. Trauma. I got I to gotta chime in here real quick just as the on-call insurance agent. That's not a covered peril. That's all coming out of pocket. You think if you think space debris is covered, you better check over That's your fair. declarations check page, again. my friend, because that is it not a covered, covered. peril. <laughs> now that we're living in a crazy time where aliens exist and oh, visit yeah. us frequently and all, you know, all the drama that's going on in the world. I think you, you guys need to start adding space to breathe. I think so. There's, there's a, there's an old SNL skit about robot insurance for senior citizens for when <laughs> killer robots come into your home in the middle of the night and try to kill yes. you. 
I think we might actually start transacting meteorite insurance. I, I'm going to have to bring yeah. it up to the higher ups here because there is a precedent. I think you need to. Yeah, that's also crazy. killer robots. That feels close now too. <laughs> Can you imagine though that a piece of space debris comes flying through your roof, smashes off your ra- radio or radiator? It was her like stereo system. Her stereo system, bang, <clears throat> okay. smash. There goes oh. your Victrola. Guess who's not listening to Bill Haley and the comets tonight? And then it oh, crashes the into comments. you. Ouch, ouch, ouch. This is perfect. Now you've got a hole in your roof. Your insurance company isn't going to pay for it. Your landlord thinks she's got the right to it. That is Anne. Anne, that is a, that is a rough turn of events. Rough go. Anne. Anne, like I said, that's really cute. top contender. She is a top oh, contender cute. for sure. Oh, right across from the home. Did I write this down? Yes. Okay, great. So right across this home, there was a drive-in movie theater called The Comet that featured a large neon blinking sign that was a comet soaring through space. Oh, my God. Ah! No. What? No. Isn't that? The What odds. are the fucking odds? So that was what crazy. What are the fucking odds? Anne. Yeah. Wow. So only person in the world to get hit by a comet. She's pretty fucking high up there. Joe, do you have a yep. contender? She sure is. Oh, I've got a contender. Ooh. Oh, tell us. No, I got to ask because I've got I got two two heavies that I'm going with today okay. and then a couple of quick boys right behind them. So, uh-huh. do you want do you want big heavy or do you want little heavy first? Do big I should heavy. I, big heavy? I went strong. Let's go big right heavy. Let's like get it. I yeah, go in there. Media. So just right from the get-go, yeah. here we go. We're going to talk about Henry Gunther. Okay. Anybody Ooh. come across Henry Gunther on their no. studies, on their travels? I, I saw his name mentioned, haven't read about him, so you're about to All right, shock good, me. good, because this is a pretty good one. So Henry Gunther was a second-generation American born in Baltimore, Maryland Baltimore. in 1895. <laughs> he grew up in a largely German migrant area, and his parents were, were German migrants. So he's, you know, in the community there, and this is an important factoid. Okay. Okay. So Henry had a pretty normal and actually kind of comfortable childhood for a first generation American, not typical of the struggles that you hear about, you know, in the Ellis Island stories. It was actually pretty cushy for him and his family and he wound up a bookkeeper at a local bank in 1915, had a new girlfriend. Things are going pretty well for Henry Gunther. Nice. So given the fact that he had something of a cushy life and the fact that he came from German parents, he didn't exactly rush off to join the war effort in 1917 Weird. when the United States sure. entered World War One several years in and, you know, fighting against mm-hmm. the Germans, obviously. Right, 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 we right. Well, five months right. later, the United States government said, well, we're going to make that decision for you, Henry Gunther. You have officially been drafted and conscribed into the Very United States cool. Armed Services. But we love but that. But here's the cool thing. Given the fact that he had a somewhat cushy job at a bank, you know, this is a point in time when many Americans are still living in rural communities. Many Americans are still illiterate. Yeah. So at this mm-hmm. point in time, given the fact that he was a bookkeeper, they said, all right, hey, listen, you're drafted. You've got some education to you. We're going to make you a supply sergeant. We're going to put you at the rear. We're going to make you responsible for clothing your regiment and your battalion. Nice. Wait, what does oh, that mean? Fine. So, like, uniforms. And materials somebody says, like, hey, one of my boots got blown up yesterday. Can I get a new pair of boots? 
You know, just things like that. So he's essentially in the costume department. I'm relating it to being a theater kid, like costume department. Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, pretty cushy gig, right? Well, like many of the Americans who had just arrived on the battlefields of Europe in 1917, which again, three full years after the war has started. So there is already death, destruction, carnage, hopelessness, the worst things you've ever seen in your Mm -hmm. life. And... So as such, Mm -hmm. he wrote a letter home to his loved ones and to one friend of his in particular, telling them how terrible things are here and telling this one friend, hey, whatever you do, at all costs, do not get drafted. Damn. Avoid the draft however possible. You don't want to be here. Well, a month before Henry had sent this letter home, the United States had passed something called the Espionage Act. Which, among other things, closely censored letters that were being mailed home from their soldiers at the front to both ensure that no morale drop on the home front would occur, hearing about how bad things actually were there. It was also to discourage people from advertently or inadvertently cooperating with the enemy, given the fact that Henry came from German migrant parents This raised quite a bit of suspicion in the military, and Henry Gunther was busted down from supply sergeant all the way down to private, which is multiple ranks, and was pulled from the rear and his supply position to become a rifleman on the front in an infantry unit. Fuck. Fuck. Bad turn of events for Henry Gunther. Oops. So Henry and his new unit arrived at the front on September 12th, 1918, which is almost to the day, two months before World War I would come to a close. So he's coming in right at the tail end here, you know, this isn't exactly Mm -hmm. the brunt of the war that he's going to have to, uh, you know, deal with. But so for those who might not know, listening or watching or whatever, the armistice of World War I was signed on the 11th hour at 11 a.m., on the 11th day of the 11th month of the year, November 11th, 1918, well, that's easy to at 11 a.m., and this was know, this was right? agreed upon. 11th. Yeah, this was agreed upon uh, by the German and uh, French forces who were negotiating the treaty. But the German side wanted to announce the armistice immediately. Okay, we've agreed to end the war. Let's go share the word. But this French yeah. asshole. Oh. There's, there's no better way to say it. Just an absolute asshole named Marshall Foch just so fell Fuck in love Marshall. with the idea of the 11th day, the 11th hour, the 11th month. It just all lined up so perfectly in his French fucking brain that he said, nope, we're going to wait another six hours to announce that the war is ending. And historians all agree that this contributed to thousands of additional people being killed or wounded because this one because this Marshall. one french dick what is the uh, quote from dumb and dumber i don't know lloyd i don't know the lloyd french the french are assholes, are assholes. <laughs> it's correct yeah, we it have is. too much proof uh and unfortunately uh one of those casualties was none other than henry gunther himself uh Damn but it, it's henry gunther it is it, it's it's even sadder than that So, uh, on the morning that the armistice was signed, 
Henry's unit approached a roadblock of these two German machine gun nests in the road outside of a town called Lorraine. Now, you have to remember that Henry has been publicly shamed throughout all of this. Not only has he been busted down in rank from sergeant to private, but there's chatter that has gone through his old unit and now his new unit He's a Kraut. His parents are Krauts. He's sympathetic to the Krauts. You can't trust this guy. And everybody knows, even though they don't know the war is about to end, they know that it's ending soon. Yeah. Everybody knows the war is drawing They're to a close. They're reaching a close. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So desperate to save his name and his honor and to just salvage some bit of honor for himself and his family and against the orders of his sergeant, Henry Gunther, with a fixed bayonet, gets out of his covered position and charges the machine gun nests by himself. And the German soldiers, unlike the American soldiers, the German soldiers on the other side know that the armistice has been signed. And guess what time it is? It's 10.59 a.m. And the German soldiers allegedly, allegedly begin waving Henry Gunther back as he runs at them with a fixed bayonet. They don't shoot him. They're saying like, no, 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 don't, no, 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 go go back, go back, go back, go back. But desperate to prove himself and to salvage his name and his honor, he continues charging and eventually actually fires off a couple shots at one of the machine gun nests, at which point one of the machine guns turns on him, fires a quick burst, and ends Henry Gunther's life forever at 10.59 a.m., one minute before the armistice goes into effect, making Henry Gunther the final American casualty of World War I, one minute before the armistice went into effect. Okay, that might be more unlikely. Well, that's pretty me bad. Meteorite <laughs> that's rough. I don't know. I did not think anything could beat meteorite. Like but the more you that's told bad. that story, the more my face fell. Like it, I was like, oh, no. It gets no. it gets worse and worse as it no. goes on. Everything you said, I just kept. The like, guy didn't oh. want to join the military. Oh. Because he had a good life, and he had a no, new girlfriend, he and he had a good fine. job, and his parents were German, and he was like, I don't want to go die. And they were like, too bad. Tough. You're going. And he's like, all right, <laughs> but can I sad. get a non-combat job? I work at a bank. And they were like, fine. And he went over there and was like, boy, it's terrible here, and wrote his buddy and was like, it's, it's terrible, terrible here. here. And they were like, here's a gun. You're, you're meat for the fodder now. And then uh, he tried to... Uh, I can't even Fucking finish. I don't even. I don't even want to relive it again. Ten fifty nine. I know. I was like, I can't even. And the fact that they were trying to wave him down and be like, No, this is about if that to is end, true, bro. That is the, the most, most heartbreaking aspect because these guys were like, We that don't the... want to kill you. But Go you back. Us, we we're not trying you. to do this. It's about to be over, buddy. Oh, Henry. Well, Lauren, can you bad news? That? <laughs> I am not sure if I can. We'll see. (laughs) I don't know if this is my heaviest hitter, but this story is just wild. Like, I would want to share it on the podcast anyway, because what and how. So, I am going to tell the story of Henry Ziegland. Ziegland. Ziegland, another German. Another German. (laughs) Except he lived in Texas, but... um, Yes, German. Ziegland. The story of Hen- Henry Ziegland. It's been around for over a hundred years, and it is one of the 
unluckiest and also most unbelievable tales that you might hear, which uh. I include unbelievable <laughs> because it's a crazy story, but also some people wonder about it. Like everywhere you look, this is a story that has somewhat been verified because of the people involved and in the story that has taken place. But okay. I don't know. People have questions because it's so crazy. Anyway, in 1905, this farmer, Henry Ziegland from Honeygrove, Texas, broke up with his then girlfriend, Maisie Titchener. Oh, sorry, Maisie. Sorry, Maisie. Is she the unlucky sorry, one? Sorry, Maisie. Mm. <laughs> no, okay. well, it does get dark for a second oh, when geez. you ask All if right. she's the unlucky Whoops. one. She took the news incredibly badly. Mm. She wanted to get back together. She begged him to get back together. She tried to get over it. Family and friends tried to help her. She did, unfortunately, take her own life. Oh, Maisie. Maisie. Ain't no man worth that, Maisie. I know, Maisie. Ain't no man worth that. No man worth that. No man, Mm -hmm. Maisie. Angered, by the way, that Henry had treated his sister, Maisie's brother took it upon himself to get revenge. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, he just lost his sister. And he's like, who the fuck is this guy? I'm about to come for you. So... He went down to Henry's home and he shot at him before turning the gun on himself and taking his own life. I know it's the dark, old murder it's dark for a moment. So he he shot quickly because he knew I'm about to take my own life. I just lost my sister, my best friend in the world. So he shot quickly, took his own life, but unbeknownst to him before he shot himself was that the first shot at Henry only grazed Henry, went past him, and landed in a tree behind him. And Henry didn't even realize that it landed in the tree. He just knew he was grazed by the bullet, you know, kind of got out of the way just in time and was like, oh, I don't know where that bullet landed, but thank God I'm still alive. I can't believe that just happened. So this is already incredibly tragic, but he got lucky for a moment having the bullet miss him. Fast forward 20 years, and Henry is out in the yard chopping down some trees on his land, But there's one tree that just can't budge. It's so big. It's very strong. His axe isn't cutting it. So he sets the axe down and he bored some holes in its trunk and he packed it full of dynamite and thought, this is how I'm going to blow up this tree because it has to come down, but it's just too strong. He backs up. He's even watching with his son. He's like, we're watch this. This is going to be really cool. Have you ever seen a tree blow up? He's excited about it. Upon detonation, tree is blown to pieces as planned, but it also dislodged that bullet that had sat there waiting for two decades, and it hurtled through the air and struck Henry smack dab in the middle of the head, immediately killing him. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, this story made the local news. The the whole affair was printed in black and white, the entire story of how it had happened, because family members of Maisie's knew the story and what had happened with the brother, but they never knew what happened to the bullet, but they were like, oh, that's for sure how the bullet got into the tree, because he shot him that day and missed. And it has now been published around the world, Holy and shit. everyone now knows about the unfortunate affair of truly one of the worst. Oh boy! Unluckiest, unluckiest coincidences that's Shnikes. ever taken place. <clears throat> Kawinky dink. Yeah, like I would have wanted to share the story regardless because we talk about coincidences and crazy things all the time. So I don't know if he's the unluckiest. I don't know if he's my heavy hitter, but what? Pretty heavy. Pretty heavy hitting. Pretty unlucky. Uh- <laughs> To dodge a bullet and dodge then 20 years later have that same bullet kill you? you? 
That's insane. Yeah, that's like a that's like that bullet uh, was faded for his brain. Yeah. Yeah, it was like it. it's final destination style. Yeah, like, that really I'm was final you. destination. He got destination. He got destination. He didn't die, he was destination. Yep. Yep. <laughs> he was destination. That's what yeah, Joe and I right. call a lot of murders now. Destination. I like that. I'm gonna start using that. Macabre. That was really good. Yeah. And I'm sorry, oh. but Anything Death, to get you through your day. Uh, finds a way. That was <laughs> good at Jeff Goldblum. That was good. Thank you. This is why we have you on. Okay, well, my next person, um, her name's Jean Rogers. What's up, Jean? She is a what up, Jean? cartoon character of a person. Lauren she almost uh, covered Jean as well when she checked my notes. And I she did. was like, I almost did Jean, because what? She's phenomenal. She's phenomenal. <laughs> I'm sorry, okay. Jean, but woof. I did so much research on this woman to make sure this was all true because it really did seem like a joke. Um, but I'm just mm-hmm. going to go in order of the dates in which they, these things happened in her life. Basically, it's her whole life. She's a cartoon. Mm-hmm. In 1967 was the cruise incident. Mm. Jean went on a cruise with a friend to Martha's. They went went on a cruise to Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) That's like the Hurley word. Yeah, Yeah, it is. They went to Martha's Vineyard. Enough, guys. Had some surfer. Uh, Enough. (laughs) Had some lobster. Okay, she went on a cruise with a friend of Martha's Vineyard, (laughs) and at one point they were on the deck trying to take pictures by the rail. Uh, it was raining, or it just stopped raining. The deck was slick with water from rain. And Jean slipped and fell over the side of the boat. Her friend Whoa. turned to run and get help, but also slipped on the wet deck and hit her head so hard she was knocked unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad for laughing, but that is so this, bad. This story rules just... already. <laughs> I know. This feels very cartoony. <laughs> Luckily... Uh, Jean had her life vest on, so the ship was able to turn back and retrieve her Smart. when they realized what had happened. An entire hour later, she just floated in the ocean, waiting on them to come back and save her. That's nightmare. But they did. Nightmare. The next one happened in 1971. She was waiting for a bus in Hartford, Connecticut. What, what? A Connecticut. It's actually 1971 is the year that my mom graduated from high school in West Hartford, Connecticut. So oh, they could have known well, each other. Real, real close to home. Will you call your mom and ask if she knows Jean Rogers? Sure. Okay. So um, she was waiting for a bus in Hartford, Connecticut when she was struck by lightning. The lightning blew off her shoes, burned a small hole in her right ankle, and melted her pantyhose onto her legs. Those last two aren't funny, but knocking her out of her shoes is very funny. I don't care what you it say. It's just the shoes sitting there smoking. I, a a, a so hole good. going through somebody's foot, fusing your pantyhose to your skin. Horrific. Not bad. Not fun. Horrific. Blowing Awful. you out of your shoes. Hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. Smoking shoes. It's it's too good. Inarguably, will not listen to a rebuttal. Continue. Uh, She actually, um, she did have some damage to her nerves, like in her feet. She was unable to lose from that. She, you told me she got struck by lightning. I assumed as much. Well, here's the thing: she got struck by lightning again in 1970. (laughs) This is the best episode of this show you guys have ever done. I know. I'm having so I'm much like, fun. Jean. 
Jean Rogers. It was crazy. Uh, oh, so good. She got struck by lightning again in 1973. This time the lightning struck a metal bracelet she was wearing that absorbed Oof. or deflected. I don't really know how that works, but uh, most of the hits. Absorbed. She actually, yeah, she didn't suffer. It's a conductor. It's not a deflector. It's a conductor. Well, I was like deflected took from it, her body, absorbed into the bracelet. Nope. Either way, nope. she, she was got struck fine. by lightning. <laughs> she was fine. <laughs> then one night, was 19- she Wonder Woman? <laughs> she de- deflected it with her cuff. <laughs> she, I know, ding, 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 ding. Ha ha! Not this time, lightning. I learned my lesson. Okay, you guys. First I of learned. all, I'm about to be one of the unluckiest people on this list because you guys will not stop making fun of me. Oh, oh. sorry. Go ahead. This one's actually horrible. Uh-oh. In 1981, her husband came home drunk and attempted to strangle her to death. What? Uh, but she got away. They did divorce. I like how the fact that he was drunk gets mentioned. It's like, he came home, and because he was drunk, he tried to strangle her. And it's like, pretty sure there's you a know, bigger problem as there, you but. do. Yeah, pretty sure maybe yeah, he, had he had some other he issues. Had, he had five Miller High Lifes and came home and say, was like, now you have to die. I've been drunk with this guy several times. Yeah. And not once has he tried to strangle yeah. me. No, in, in yeah. fact. Yeah. When, so I'm going to go ahead and say there were some other issues. In fact, when there. I was at my drunkest with you, uh, you had to take my shoes off. And all you kept saying was i'm, I'm sorry. sorry so yeah I'm mm-hmm. sorry. you're fine yeah so i don't think yeah. it had to do with him you're being good drunk, you're but safe whatever. but regardless yeah. i'm gonna let you finish your story it's just this is insane jean has also been mugged um she was running errands for her job one day when three men attacked her and took her pocketbook as well as a silver bracelet she was wearing not the same bracelet that was oh, struck by goodness. lightning i was gonna ask okay. a different silver bracelet and apparently jean was fine with them taking the pocketbook but when they took the bracelet she went full feral and punched one of the guys in the nose and caused all of them to flee the same job uh, it was a cosmetics company um, started to send her out back out into the world because no one gets a free pass. I don't mm-hmm. care if you've been mugged. You're going back out there. Struck by lightning. Corporate America. They sent her out on some deliveries with her and her young son, and they were walking through Middlefield, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Okay. When he looked up in the sky and started pointing, saying, Look, Mom, a funny bird. <laughs> well, that bird was a bat, and it swooped down and embedded itself in her hair. So imagine oh. the scene from where Meredith gets trapped under the trash yeah. bag with the mat uh, with the bat in the with office. Dwight. Like yeah. it's yes. the same scenario. Like she was yeah. running That's through all I'm this picturing. neighborhood. This bat was embedded in her hair. She couldn't get it out. She was running oh from door to door, knocking, asking people for help. But when they would open the door and see like a bat attacking this woman, they just shut the door. Like absolutely so not. So she's like running through this neighborhood, <laughs> screaming. The bat has its claws in her head and is pissing into on her head it's like running down her body she's got all this bat pee on her finally she runs into a woman she knows and the woman's like here take my keys and like gave her her car keys she drove herself to the vet bat still in her head in (laughs) drove herself to the vet the vet put a mesh bag over her head and sprayed smoke into it until it fell asleep and fell out of her hair and jean had to wear a beret for three months while her hair grew back (sighs) Oh, Jean. At least berets are stylish. Yeah, right? I know. At least she looked like a chic Parisian. Also, to be fair, if this was, I mean, Connecticut, 1980s, not too far from New York City, she probably just looked like one of those guardian angels who was walking around New York City in the 80s with the red berets and the jackets. They were so cool. They were so hip. It was very fashionable at that time to wear a beret. 
So that Gosh, Jean, I hope that you felt like a stylish queen. I do too. I like the idea when you said that, you know, the vet, like, you know, he was using the smoke pump, you know, I just thought of George W. Bush going, I'm going to smoke him out. That's all I thought. Smoke him out. Like, how are you going to get him out of the caves, George? And he's like, I'm going to smoke him out. Well, that's not all. (laughs) I miss him. Um, Can we get him back? <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh, I never thought I'd yeah. say this, what but the last the last twenty years have not gone well. I think George W. Oh, Bush would back. actually be a step up at I this point. Our, I, I want, think that would actually that be a step lovable, in the right direction at this point in time. I want that lovable? Oh teddy my god! Bear at least my he life. was aware of where he was. I mean, it's so funny. <laughs> so we made so much fun of him for being so speaking. dumb, and then it was like, oh, but he wasn't a. Out to lunch geriatric. No, he's just kind of I know. He was just kind of a goofball who shouldn't have been president. (laughs) (laughs) If we could get him back without Dick Cheney, what a dream. Might be a different scenario. Guys, there's something. Anyway, I digress. I have one more story about Gene, and it is one of the best. Is it good or bad? Yep, yep, yep. I mean, it's unlucky. Oh, Jesus Christ, this poor woman. (laughs) So, it's her most famous fail. What? While swimming at the Hartford, Connecticut YMCA. Woo! That's good. Jean heard an announcement over the PA system that there was a phone call for Rogers at the front desk. Her name is Jean Rogers. So, she gets out of the pool to go up to the front desk to take this phone call that's probably for her, but she accidentally pulls the cord of another man's swim trunks and pulled his trunks down in front of every single man, woman, and child at the pool. And that person happened Wait. to be Fred Rogers. Mr. Rogers. It's the best story. How did she? <laughs> it was how Mr. did she accidentally Rogers. pull off? Because she's the unluckiest person. How do you accidentally pull off somebody of else's Earth. bathing suit? Climbing out of the swimming pool. Climbing, it was like, she oh no! And she grabbed. And she pulled Mr. Rogers' uh, swim trunks down, and everyone saw Mr. Rogers' penis. And then she finally gets to the front and desk. And his bum. And it's his call. And it was for Fred Rogers, not her. She didn't even need to get out of the pool. Like, of course it was for <laughs> Fred Rogers. Gene, no one was calling you at the pool. Somebody do this woman a favor and just hit her in the back of the head with she, a ball-peen hammer. She has a funny quote, quote out actually. Of her like, her famous quote of hers was like, death doesn't scare me, living scares the shit out of me. That's pretty good. <laughs> she's, she's like, death will, death will be sweet next. release. So good. Death like, will be a sweet, sweet else? release from the horror that is every minute of my life. Waiting for the next atrocity <laughs> to fall into my fucking lap. Yeah, so. It's so good that she caused Mr. Rogers yeah. to flash an entire pool of yeah. people. Like, that is my favorite An story. entire swimming so pool good. of people saw Mr. Rogers' pee-pee. Yeah. Because of this. Because of this. Gene. Unlucky. Oh, my God. It's Joe's turn. You guys want to hear about Wilmer McLean? Yeah, he sounds fun. Let's do Anybody it. Anybody know Wilmer? No. No? Anybody come across Wilmer? All right, well, let's learn. Born in 1814. That was a long time ago, right? He's old as shit. Wilmer McLean was a wholesale grocer and a retired Virginia military officer. He was specifically a Virginia militia officer who was living in Manassas, Virginia in 1861. Okay. Uh, with tensions between the North and South brewing at that point in time, right Why? on the cusp of the Civil War. Oh. What? Yeah. <laughs> Two armies totaling nearly 40,000 soldiers God damn. amassed on McLean's property 
in Manassas, Virginia. Being a former Virginia militia man and a sympathetic person to the Confederate cause, he was more than happy to lend a hand to the Confederate forces there. Yeah, providing them information on the surrounding terrain, what would be good high ground for them to get, allowing the Confederates to use his barn as a field hospital and his parlor as a makeshift headquarters. Well, on July 21st, 1861, the first major battle of the Civil War kicked off the Battle of Bull Run, and it took place on Wilmer McLean's front lawn. Okay. At one point, a cannonball <laughs> actually smashed into his roof and dropped down the destroyed fireplace into his kitchen. Can you imagine a war on your front lawn? I don't like listening to car stereos. Sip your tea, and it's like. I don't like listening to cars idling outside of my house. If a car is too loud and drives down our, Joe will get up off the couch and look. I'll look out of the. I'll be like, who's who needs to fix their fucking muffler? Who needs to take their car to Meineke? Would you, <laughs> Meineke, would you walk out on the front porch? Would you be I've the gay of my long guy of like, I don't, such no, a I don't, man. I don't, I don't say anything. I just get out there and I stand and he I stare. Looks at you just him. look. Yeah. No, that's a thing. You're I just get like, out there and I'm just like, I'm here. I see you. What are you doing? I live here. Why are you here? You don't live here. Ever since we've moved into a house on a cul-de-sac, Joe has really, really just full taken suburbs. on. Yeah, the full if you, Well, if, it's supposed to be peaceful if, in the yeah, cul-de-sac. If you have ever so seen the Tom Hanks 80s classic, The Burbs, I would Fit in perfectly on that street at this yeah. point you, in time. You would. I could see. So that. imagine a fucking war happening outside <laughs> yes. your house. That yes. is absolutely insane. Yes. That is. So by the end of the day, it, it nearly a thousand men lay dead on his property with at least another 2,500 more badly wounded. And this isn't like wounded by today's standards. This is like arms and legs are missing. You know, like, it is it is absolute carnage. So, the Union presence and the continued fighting in Northern Virginia over the course of the next couple of years convinces the very successful Wilmer McLean to move his business and his, and his family farther south in Virginia. So, they stay in Virginia, but they, they move from Manassas to Appomattox County. And if Appomattox County sounds familiar to you... You might be something of a Civil War buff because nearly four years after the war began and nearly four years after the war initially found Wilmer McLean and his family, the war found Wilmer McLean and his family again. Oh my God. On April 8th, 1865, a messenger from Confederate General Robert E. Lee's staff arrived at McLean's home requesting the usage of his home once again by Confederate forces. This time as That's the setting wild. for the Confederacy's formal surrender and the actual end to the Civil War, to which McLean reluctantly agreed. He was initially eager to help Leave out. Leave me alone. And now he's like, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm an older person. I'm trying to keep my family safe. I don't want to do this. But he agrees. So the following day, the treaty's signed and the war is effectively ended with McLean quipping, the war began in my front yard and ended in my front parlor. Making matters much worse for Wilmer McLean was the fact that after the treaty had been signed, the Union Army of the North, the Army of the Potomac, Potomac stripped McLean's house to the bone grabbing basically everything they could get their hands on as mementos to commemorate the occasion. 
so much stuff was taken from his house that an authentic recreation of his home is now part of the Appomattox Courthouse National Park administered by the U.S. Park Service. So much of his shit was stolen and then repossessed after the fact that they were able to, like, perfectly recreate his house in modern times Uh and make a museum at the Appomattox Courthouse where the Civil War ended. No good deed goes unpunished. Nope. Well, yeah, there you go. So what's the lesson we learn? Stay out of it. Stay out of it. Stay the fuck out of it, militia <laughs> no, man. Just out militia of it. man. Militia man. This is on this you. This one's on you. It's on you, you, yeah. you picked the wrong horse, pal. Yeah. <laughs> Treasonous fuck. Yeah, he's going to go pretty low on my list simply because he was on the wrong side of history. You know what's so fun? Like, I, I, will, I will give uh, anyone and everyone who alleges that the Civil War was about more than slavery. It was. It was about sure. more than slavery. It's about a lot. But anybody who still refers to the Civil War as the War of Northern Aggression should actually mm-hmm. be kicked out of America. That that's like sure. that is an actual rule. And it the funny thing is, anymore. most of the people who would say that today, in this point in time, like love it or leave it, they're the people who would call it the War of Northern Aggression. Yeah. You secessionary mm-hmm. treasonous fucks. Oh, no. Anyway, I'm Ooh. done. I'm done. It's That's okay. all. That's well, all. There he is. We needed, we needed a little bit of Calm down, Joe. It was 160 years ago. It was 100. It was 160 years ago. Calm down. Take some deep Calm breaths. We're it's okay. going to be okay. okay. It's okay to... We, we're feeling John the anger Wilkes with Booth you, is dead. but we're going to... John Wilkes Booth is dead. He's dead. John Wilkes Booth is dead. Okay. He's gone. He's gone. Sorry, everybody. I'm back. I'm back. I'm better. Okay. Hi. I had some Diet Coke. I'm better. Okay. All Lauren's right, we're turn. Here. We're back. Yay! Yay. <laughs> Yay! All right. This is an adorable but unlucky Croatian oh. man. Frane Salak. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Oh, Salak, yeah. Salak, Croatian. You know Anyone know? Did you see him? You know this one? It's wild. It's wild. I don't think I know this one. Okay. Born in 1929 from Croatia, Frane Salak. Or I also saw his... Given name is like Frano Salak, but he went okay. by Frame. Well, I don't know. I don't know we'll stuff do his, about Croatia. I'm very sorry. I the learn. former Yugoslavia Frank. is tricky. I have a former Yugoslavian in mind as well. So yeah. Do you? Mine's a Serbian right. though. They would hate well, each other. Uh oh. They would be oh, enemies. Okay, I'm just gonna go down the timeline of oh, Frane Salak because woof this man. Many brushes with death, again, seems yeah. unbelievable. And I think that's actually part of the story, isn't it? Not to not to jump to conclusions. Yes. Yeah. No, that some people are like, is all of this true? Which most of it is ver can be verified, but some of it it's just what he yeah, said in an interview. And so lay, like, lay it on me. Hmm. Listen, but it. yeah, it's either way. Even the things that we know for a fact happen are wild. So 1962, a train. He's on a train ride. It flips off the track and crashes into a river, killing 17 people. But Salak survives, as did a few other people, but most of the train sounds Real real unbreakable. Yeah, sounds lucky Mm -hmm. to me. Go on. Continue. See, this is one of those, is he lucky Mm -hmm. or unlucky? I was Mm -hmm. going to ask at the end what you think. 1963, just the next year, he's on a plane ride, traveling to see some family. The plane crashes killing 19 people and during the crash 
the like emergency door as we know it today. I don't think then it was even like the emergency door. It just got sucked off. Mm. One of the flight attendants got sucked uh, off and one of the flight attendants terrible got sucked and died off immediately. Yes, during the flight, and he got sucked off. This was while it was starting. Did it, to crash. Was anybody watching all of these people get sucked off during the flight? Yes, some of the other survivors saw this happening. So the flight attendant goes off. Usually, Lauren. Lauren, really quickly, usually it's the passengers who are sucking each other off on the flights. Usually yeah. the flight crew doesn't hey. get involved in the process. That's interesting. <laughs> now, if you're sucked off on a flight, does that count as the Mile High Club? Or does it? Have, do you have to... Does it have to I would P&P? think you could be in the Mile okay. High Club for a sucking. It doesn't have to be a... <laughs> Lauren, I'm so sorry. You said sucked off twice totally unironically, and I couldn't just let it sit after the second one. First one was fine. Dirty bird. <laughs> You're a dirty and you bird. you were just like, yeah, he Yeah, everybody was off. getting sucked off. It was, it was the 60s. Every, the whole plane got it sucked off. It was the 60s. Off. What are you going to do? We'll say sucked okay. out okay, of the plane. <laughs> Flight attendant went first, and then Frayne got sucked out of the plane, okay. and then the plane crashes, and 19 people were killed. But Frayne, when he got sucked out, happened to land on the cushiest haystack that you've ever seen and survived. Oh, my God. Just some bumps and bruises, but he survived landing on the haystack while most other people on the plane passed away. I think there were maybe two other survivors. Oh, my God. 1966. Three Three years years later. later, He's on a bus. Skids off the road and kills four people. Salak is one of the surviving people on that bus. A plane. A bus. A train. A train. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Maybe Seriously. Maybe should just stay put. I don't know. Maybe it's just not meant to travel. Don't travel. It's all transportation because I'm going to add some more forms of transportation. Oh this one. Boat. This is, funny enough, no. Boat is the one on his list. Take a boat, pal. <laughs> take a boat. He did take a boat once and he was totally fine and everything else was bad. But a car. 1970. A car that he's in, he was a passenger in this one, catches on fire, but he manages to escape before it explodes. It explodes moments after as he's crawling away, surviving. Then, 1973, this is the one that was hearsay, so this is his story. But 1973, he is driving a car that catches on fire and shoots flames through the air vents, but he manages to get out and survives with only light burns. 1995. Now we're jumping wow, he way got, ahead. He got a nice little times. breather there, though. He yeah. had he had a nice break. Just I think enough this was time when to let his guard down. By boat. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He took boats for a while, yeah. but then you know, 1995. He's like, I'm going to take a little stroll across the street, and he gets hit by a bus okay. while walking. This but man. But he survives without a few bumps and bruises. Being stalked by death. Yes. They he tried is. to destination. He's trying to be destination. Yes. <laughs> 1996, a year later, he is driving a car. He misses a head-on collision, lucky, but because he swerved, the car falls off the road into a pretty steep ditch. Wow. He is ejected from his seat, falls into a tree, is able to hold on to the tree for dear life while the car continues to plummet and roll down further and further, breaking apart, crushing, and he's just hanging on to a tree. Survives. But then, this is when his luck turns around, even though you could say, say he's been lucky this entire time. So he dies. But this is very <laughs> lucky. 2003, I know. Right? <laughs> Sweet death. 2003, 
he wins a million dollars in the lottery. Wow! Hell yeah! After all this. And in 2010, he gives away most of his money to family and friends. He, I think he had been giving it away slowly over time while also like making some purchases what for himself. But whatever yeah. he had left in his savings, he gave away to his family and friends. And he just thought, you know what? I've been so lucky. He says lucky. I want to give away okay. what I have to the people that I love so that they can feel lucky as well. So he has turned it around. And in interviews, he says, I am the luckiest man alive. If you can alive, if you can cheat death this many times, I consider myself lucky. So would you also call no. friends select? I lucky? mean, I don't know. No. I feel like if it happened to me, I would definitely be like, I'm the most unlucky person in the world. But the thing is, is like he keeps surviving. Here's, so he. Right. I see where you're coming from. I'm on the other side of the coin. I got into a near fatal car accident when I was 19. And mm. it was that was like kind of a one off. I'd been in other accidents. I was in one with a friend who was driving that could have been really bad too, but wasn't. But that was like that was the bad one. Right. And and I yeah. feel like holy cow, am I lucky? Cuz what happened to me could have but narrowly, I could very, very, very easily not be. There right are now. other timelines right. where you're dead. Yes, and and I have the pictures totally. of the vehicle to prove it. It is it is a disaster. My opinion of luck is not having to narrowly dodge death every two years. <laughs> okay, luck, yeah. luck is not having to escape burning modes of transportation every three years. Yes, in my yeah. in my opinion. Now, did this man live in Croatia? Or was he... He did for a time, but then it, he did move to the U.S. for some time, it looks like, as well. Okay. So he, he's a well-traveled man. Well, I'm he just wondering if he lived in a place where, like, public transportation was often... Well, if he was living, I mean, you know, given his age, it sounds like he probably didn't emigrate to the States until the 90s when the former yeah, Yugoslavia broke life. apart because they were communist and, yeah. you know. Yeah, it was later in life. And in the 60s, I feel like plane crashes were much more common, right? They and happened. he was on a small plane. It wasn't huge. Yeah, they so. Sure. I don't know. Man, oh man. But These are some unlucky fucks. Sure are. I know. Who's up? I'm up. You got one? Yeah, I do. Yeah! I'm going to talk about a man named Kostas Mitsokakis. Ooh, a nice Greek fella. Greek fella. I remember reading his name, but didn't read the story, so I'm stoked. Um, on December 22nd, 2011, the small, Sman small Spanish management, small Spanish. the small Spanish village of Sodeto transformed from a rural farming community to a suddenly wealthy enclave. What happened? They won a lottery worth $950 million. Woo! <laughs> And you might be might be thinking, like, how did an entire village win the lottery? Well, the lottery cool. works totally differently in, uh, you know, Spain than it does in the United States. Basically, they have a Christmas time lottery called El Gordo. The fat, the one. fat man. Yeah. <laughs> the fat one. I was yeah. like, yeah, we know El Gordo. Where That's the government so prints out multiple series of tickets with the numbers from one, zero to nine, 99,999. And distributes them to local offices throughout the country. Anyone can purchase a ticket, but a single ticket is 200 euros. Like $200 for one uh -huh. lottery ticket is yeah. pricey. So what would happen mm -hmm. was 
it was really common to break the tickets down into tenths or even smaller fractions. Sure. So in Sodetto each year, the local housewives association would buy a collection of these tickets and knock on every door in town and find out like, hey, do you want to buy a portion of these tickets? Um, and then the whole deal was is like they'd spend five dollars on a portion of the ticket, and they would give like an extra dollar for the the organization that like ran okay. town functions. So sure. it was like a fundraising yeah. thing. Yeah. In two thousand eleven, the village's number was drawn, and they won the whole pot. <laughs> won Get the it, close village! To fucking hundred million dollars, or no, Insane. a billion dollars. Yeah. Every single person in the village, Crazy. it's a small vi- village, there's about 70 households, so depending on how many people oh, wow. are in the house, won yeah. money. And the prizes ranged from... Good for them. The lowest winning came to 130,000, um, and then the higher winnings came from, you know, several million Millions. per household. Yeah. And uh, literally when the winnings were announced, everyone in the village came outside of their homes, cheering, partying, whatever. So cute. Every person except Costas Mitsokakis, because... He didn't buy a ticket. (laughs) He didn't buy a ticket. No, he didn't. (laughs) He was the only one in the whole village who didn't buy a ticket. (laughs) Stop. The one person. One household in the whole village. Did not buy a ticket. I can't. That is so funny. That's when and you awful. just that's when you just walk into the ocean and just keep walking. Yep. And he was the only winner. He was actually he was a Greek filmmaker who had moved to Spain to be closer to his girlfriend. They broke up. He wasn't even with her anymore. But he stayed in Spain because it was nice and he continued to live in this house just outside the village. And the housewives association actually didn't go out to his house and offer him a ticket. But there's places to buy tickets in town, too. He knew. It wasn't like, yeah, yeah, he, he knew. knew. And he knew was what happening. was happening. Like, um, you would have gotten Costas. word. Boy, that cost us him a lot, didn't it? Hey! So Costas is now known as the unluckiest man in the luckiest village. That's And I believe, bad. so he was a filmmaker, I believe he went on in like 2014 or something, I think he made a small documentary about like how the the winnings helped happened. the town and like all the yeah. cool things that happened as the guy, the one as guy. The guy the one like, guy as the one guy who didn't, didn't experience it yet. Amazing. He's like, I had to start a GoFundMe to make my documentary because I didn't have I didn't one of those. Oh my god. Why wow. do I keep yawning? I'm having fun and I'm awake. Why am I yawning? Someone answer me. Why am I yawning? <laughs> You're officially our rudest guest. That was an actual question. Someone answer me. I don't know. We don't know, Joe. You're There's not getting enough boy. oxygen? Isn't that a thing? I, yeah, I think it is an oxygen thing. Want some actually. water? No. Can you breathe? I hate water. I never drink the stuff. <clears throat> You guys want to hear about Monica Sellis? Yeah, more than anything. I, I do. Do you know Monica Sellis, either of you? I don't. T- no. Tennis player? No? No, nobody? Well, this is the uh, the other former Yugoslavian that I oh, had okay. alluded oh. to. Um, Monica right, right, Sellis right. was something of a famous, <clears throat> excuse me, tennis prodigy. Um, and I remember her. her. Her ascent in the tennis rankings happened at the same exact time that I was like, kind of becoming cognizant of the world around me. So yeah, I remember Monica and I remember this incident in question that still hasn't very well. happened to me. I haven't become cognizant of the world around no, me. No, Ashley has not. No. Ashley still You're could still not tell you. You're still in mind of like a three-year-old nope. child. Nope. Okay. I couldn't, from, from our house that we've lived in for over a year and a half now, 
If I were to ask Ashley how to get to a town that's 10 minutes away, she couldn't tell me what direction it was But in. I have an iPhone. There it is. And that's how we all stay done. And that's all that matters. <laughs> That'll be good forever. That'll never come back to haunt you. Yeah. So Monica nope. Sell is something of a tennis prodigy again in the late 80s and early 90s. She became the youngest ever French Open champion. Nice. Uh, winning the French Open at the age of 16 in 1990, which is insane. So uh, by the time that her uh, 20th birthday was on the horizon, she had already won eight major singles titles. And to put that into comparison's sake, because I know that there probably aren't a ton of tennis fans who are going to be listening to this, uh, at the same time, by the same age that Monica Seles had won eight singles titles, Serena Williams had won two. To give you an idea of just kind of how ahead of the curve. And this is years, this is a decade before Serena. So Monica is like the greatest thing that women's tennis has seen to that point, essentially. Um, But we're doing uh, an episode episode on unlucky people. (laughs) What happens? So you guys are going to be pretty (laughs) surprised at what happens to Monica Seles. What do you guys think happens? If you had to take a wild guess. She gets a tennis ball hit uh, at her throat and it causes her to suffocate suffocate. and die. Mm, Okay, good guess. Lauren, what do you have? What happens to Monica Seles? (laughs) I I was going to say a tennis ball to the eyeball, but that seems too close. I'm trying to think of something that's not her getting injured. I'm like, somebody... What if I told you that she gets very injured? <laughs> oh, oh no. okay. Then I think a tennis ball hit her so hard that her eyeball fell out Ooh, onto the court. I actually know of a person that that happened to, interestingly enough. Somebody that my dad went to high school with. They were playing tennis. They got drilled in the eye socket with the ball. Gross. And it hit them hard enough that it actually dislodged their eyeball, and it was is actually hanging out of their head from the optic nerve. Pretty terrible. So, Same thing also happened to uh, a girl in Connecticut who played a high school soccer game against my high school. Uh, a girl accidentally got kicked in the head by a girl that I went to high school with, and the same exact thing happened. Her eyeball came out and was hanging by its optic nerve. Hey, do you want to know why I don't play sports? Because of stuff like this? Well, just so you know, neither of those things happened to Monica, and it didn't even involve a a tennis ball or a racket. So if you wanted to know what happened to her, would you be surprised if I told you that a mentally ill fan came running out of the stands and stabbed her between the shoulder blades with a nine-inch knife? Did you have that on your list of (laughs) bingo outcomes for 20-year-old Monica Sellis? This... This is actually so embarrassing that I didn't know because I remember this story now and it was even brought up recently because the U.S. Open was taking Mm -hmm. place like whatever a couple weeks ago. So people were bringing up old crazy tennis stories and somebody brought this video back on TikTok and I was like, I remember this, this is awful. So that's actually, it's horrific. It is is without a doubt one of the most surreal and bizarre events in the history of sports because it was televised. Mm-hmm. And no one knew what to do because she, like, screams. And yeah. everyone's like, what What? What just happened? It's between matches. So you know how there are, you know, sets where yeah. you'll be like, oh, they're yeah. up 5-3 in the second set after winning the first set 7-5 or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? So she's yeah. chilling between games, sitting on the court between games, yeah. when this guy, who was a, uh, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Gunter Parsh, 
which of course he's got a weird Dean name. Tech. He is he was an obsessive and a obviously very mentally ill fan of Monica Seles's biggest rival, Steffi Graf, who Monica Seles wasn't even playing in that match. Monica Seles was playing a, a, out of yeah, playing a Bulgarian woman named uh, Magdalena Maliva, and this guy who was this massive Steffi Graf fan, Monica was like the only player in the world who was beating Steffi at that point in time. So seeing the uh, eventuality of them meeting each other later in the tournament, this guy saw his opportunity. She's sitting on the court with her back to him, and he just ran out of the stands, hopped the barrier, ran up behind her, and stabbed her right between the shoulder blades with a giant boning knife. Like one of those really long, thin, like kitchen knives, a boning knife. Yeah. Right between the shoulder blades. And uh, after the fact, he had said that he wanted to hurt her so badly that she couldn't play tennis again for a very long time. That was his motive. He was basically just like, yeah, I didn't want to see her beat my girl Steffi, so I had to stab her. I did it. It's so wild. Yeah, uh, absolutely insane. So uh, as if that weren't sad uh, in and of itself, um, Monica Seles was never the same. Just not only battling... Yeah, not only battling the physical repercussions of that and the nerve damage the ptsd the bouts with depression she had developed never want to be on a tennis court again she over over multiple periods of time she developed eating disorders like this totally changed her and uh in spite of the fact that she had won eight major titles before her 20th birthday over the next 15 years of her playing off and on she would go on to win one more major title in her entire career and yeah. uh so what and what she had achieved so early in life yeah, she recovered so from the stabbing she spent the next 15 years alive? oh yeah oh. yeah she's still alive she spent the next 15 years playing off and on she retired a couple times it came out of retirement a couple times and won a bronze medal playing doubles in the olympics and so she it wasn't like hey. but just but she like, was just another never the same nope, ever. No, nope, yeah. yeah. That was like if you if you took Michael Jordan in his second season stabbed in the NBA in the and his stabbed prime. him in the back and then for the rest of his career he was just like a random dude who would come off the bench. Yeah. Like still in the NBA but you know totally but, yeah, unspectacular never the same. and <sighs> yep. Yeah, I I totally just watched that footage recently and it's so upsetting. This reminded me it's not one of my stories but it easily could have been. I don't know if he would be considered the unluckiest, but sports injuries, and you'll appreciate this, Joe, the hockey goalie who got sliced by the ice skate. Oh, Clint across the throat. Yeah. yeah. It, that is one of the most insane things Joe I've ever Shelby. seen, because again, Brutal. it happens so quick, and a total accident of he's like leaning over to try and catch the puck, yep. and a skater goes by and like just catches him. hits him just right, there's, and it slices his throat. There's been, there's been a couple of those. That actually happened that, to That's a, being destination. Yeah, and that's why you wear your wear your neck guard. Yeah, they make neck. They I make know. they make cloth what, neck did guards. Did he just not have his on? on I never read enough about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, said, I don't know. Like, he probably didn't have happened, it. Yeah, I mean, that's why you wear a neck guard. It's just a piece of cloth. It's just so awful. It's not designed to protect thing. you from blunt force trauma, like a puck or but anything. A blade, a blade specifically. Yeah. But there's another guy who played in the you NHL, know. Trent McCleary, who when I was a kid went down to the ice to block a shot as a guy from the other team was taking a slap shot. And the puck hit him right in the windpipe and crushed his trachea. And they had to do like an emergency tracheotomy on the bench because the guy crushed the guy's windpipe. He couldn't breathe. He almost died. Stop it. Yeah, so brutal. Hockey, man. Hockey. Woo! 
as I've said before, Hockey. this is why I don't play sports. Lauren, do you have another unlucky <laughs> person before we rank? All right. This, I just want to say this statistic first before I jump in. Okay. The odds of being attacked by a shark are about 11.1 in 11.5 million. Okay. So myself, I'm including myself in this. Those of us who are afraid of sharks, try to remember that. And the chances of being struck by lightning in the U.S., it has increased because as we've learned from people in these stories it does happen it used to be like in the hundreds of thousands now it's one in fifteen thousand three hundred. that's not good enough no it needs to be lower no (laughs) oh no no i don't like those i know i was like unfortunately it's more likely but still not like everyday concern okay so those are two big things but a man named eric nori from florida has had both of these things happen to him. In 2013, he was bitten by a shark while vacationing with his family in the Bahamas. He was spearfishing in like five feet of water. He was walking back with his grouper back to the boat because it was clear, shallow water. But a shark out of nowhere came, took a huge chunk out of his leg, and he had to be airlifted out of there. He survived, whatever. But then when he was interviewed about this crazy shark attack that never happens in the Bahamas, he was like, oh yeah, last year I got struck by lightning. And also, I've been bitten by a rattlesnake that was like the one rattlesnake in the world to not make its warning sound. Came out of nowhere and bit him. And then also, he was punched in the face twice by a monkey while on vacation. Well, okay. Two, two different monkeys. Could it so be? That I had to <laughs> Could it be? Animals hate this guy. Nature hates this guy. Could it be that he is putting lightning. himself in too many precarious situations? Because I myself yes, have never been he's punched an adventurous by a monkey, man. but I've also never traveled. I've never come face to face with a monkey. Like I've been. I've also six. never gone spear fishing. I've also never been never been attacked by a shark. He's he's an adventure seeker for sure. But in every situation, it was supposed to be safe. And like the monkeys, it was one of those where it's like take a picture with the monkey. And, the monkey and like... on two different <laughs> trips, they punched him in the face. And I just think that's the you funniest know thing the ever. So that's Eric. Smell it all Florida. over him. The yeah. monkey knew. He's like, he listen. Like, the monkey was yes. like, this guy's got bad juju. Whatever. Yeah, get this guy away from yeah, me. Like, hey, hey, away. come on. This aura. Come on, take, take, I'm not take here for it. Take a walk. So that's Eric Nori from Damn. Florida who uh, just tries to go on adventures and it doesn't work out. And then Melanie Martinez. This one is a bit more somber, short, but very sad. She lost four houses to four different hurricanes. Melanie Martinez um, had Betsy in 1965, Juan in 1985, George in 1998, and Katrina in 2005. She lived in Louisiana, so, I mean, she was in that zone, but still. That's not even the hurricane zone. Like, the Floridas and the the Carolinas are even a bigger hurricane zone. It totally is true. And it's like, obviously, Uh. people in Louisiana have also been hit, but she happened to lose with all of them. And then she gets... This beautiful opportunity, a reality TV show comes in and says, we are going to give you a home makeover. If anyone deserves it, it's you. They A team spends a week doing a $20,000 transformation, new kitchen, new cupboards, new appliances, 50-inch smart TV, you know, the whole thing. Melanie Martinez is like, my luck has turned around. Here we go. Then Wednesday, August 29th, the seventh anniversary of Katrina, a Category 1 hurricane named Isaac howled in from the Gulf and hit her again. Martinez and her family were rescued by a boat along with their five kittens and three dogs. All the animals lived. I needed to add that. But everything else was completely lost. She has lost five homes to five storms. Melanie, you should live on top of a mountaintop. After like home number two, I probably would have moved to uh, Melanie. Move to Maine. Hurricane free. Move to Maine. What they didn't tell you is that her first home was made of straw. 
and her second <laughs> home <Yeah. laughs> was made of sticks. And then she uh-huh. finally built a home made of brick. <laughs> there you go. And it's still got And I'll huff thing. and I'll puff uh, and I'll blow Melanie. your house down. Fuck. Five that houses sucks. to five storms, Damn. Melanie. Melanie. Hey, you guys want to hear two real quick ones from me? Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Let's you go. guys know me. You guys know I'm a Beatlemaniac. You guys know that I would probably what? have something. Never. So I just I, I had to include Pete Best in this list. Pete Best is one of the right, several okay. people who are referred to as being the fifth Beatle. Uh, he was an original <laughs> quarryman. His mom actually owned the Casbah Club in Liverpool, where the Beatles played their first gigs back when they were the quarrymen. He was their drummer after the Beatles signed their first record contract with EMI in 1962. It was decided by the members of the group, by band manager Brian Epstein, and by their future producer, George R. Martin, that this guy on drums wasn't very good, and we should, and we should replace him. And then right before they went on their tour, going to Hamburg to play those dates that would, you know, essentially launch the legend of the Beatles. Launch them into success. Uh, Pete Best couldn't make it to one of their gigs. So they had a fellow well-known Liverpool drummer named Richard Starkey, a.k.a. Ringo Starr, sit in on the drums. And within seconds (laughs) of playing the first song, everybody in the band looked at each other like, this is it. Like... This is the missing piece. As soon as Ring Paul's even talked about it, as soon as Ringo first kicked in, Paul looked at John and was like, This is this, <laughs> this is, is the guy. Sound. This is the guy. That is so unfortunate. And yeah, Paul and, and so Best. and Pete Best was uh un, Pete Best. Ver, very Best, unceremoniously Best. dumped from the Beatles. Ooh. However, there is a happy ending alert. Thirty-five years after getting kicked out of the Beatles. The Beatles and their former record label, or the surviving Beatles, I should say, released Anthology One, like a four-disc C box CD set in 1995, uh-huh. and it record it, it contained ten demos and recordings from their early days that they had done with Pete Best. So Pete Best is the recording musician on those. Nice. And the Beatles sold okay. enough copies of Anthology One that it's estimated that Pete Best made somewhere between six and eight million dollars off of the sales. Damn. Of this. And what Get did he do boost. like with his life? Did he continue to do music? He or was he he he, just he, like, he, he bounced guy. around a couple local bands that were like locally popular but never national yeah. fame. And then he worked as a public servant. Yeah. He just like worked that was just listed public servant. He worked in various okay. governmental, local government capacities well, he's a and now. helping people, and so he had a very, very normal life for thirty years, <laughs> watching his childhood buddies and Pete former Best. bandmates become the most famous people in the, the history of pop culture. Most famous people in the history of pop. Wow. And then the very last one I have, I don't have a blurb on it, but I mean, you want to talk unlucky? So okay. this happened on August second, nineteen eighty-five, two days after the day that I was born, in the city of New Orleans. A gentleman named Jerome Moody drowned at a town swimming pool that was in the midst of hosting a party for lifeguards celebrating no one drowning that summer. So at a party celebrating the lifeguards for having not allowed a single person to drown all summer long, one of the attendees of the party drowned in the (laughs) middle of the party and no one noticed until someone saw a body floating face down in the pool dead 
Okay. I know we have a woman who got hit by a meteorite, but I think Jerome has my I've vote. already taken her out of the number one spot because here's the thing. I think that if you ended up dying, you, you lose. lose. Like, you're number one. Jerome wins. It w- loses, but Jerome's wins Jerome's a contender. Vote. For me, my number one is the World War II German, or World, World War, War I, I American. Ger- American you're German. You're wrong twice, yep. Who, um... <laughs> My vote is the World War One. My American vote is for Emperor German Hirohito immigrant and Imperial Japan. Who died one minute before the end of World War One. I. I think he is the unluckiest. He, uh, I'm, I'm and torn between him and Jerome Moody myself. Yeah, I know. I think it's Jerome for me. I, I do think. World War... Wait, what was the guy's name? The German in World War Henry Gunther, and he was American. Henry God Gunther. damn it. But he was a German oh, sorry. immigrant. Oh, sorry. Well, I'm, she but, said but it! But I'm, I'm descended of German immigrants. But wasn't he, like, born in Germany? No, he's born in America. Oh, just I, kidding. He was a second-generation American. His parents, His were, parents were actually born yeah, yeah. in America, too. Oh. Okay, well, so you kept emphasizing... Yeah, yeah. German so I said he was you a second-generation really German-American. German and that because he was a German-American... Well, Lauren and I can only Joe, take in on so you. much information at a time. And we heard German, he, and he's German. And we're idiots, <laughs> and you know this. Okay, so I he was my vote pretty much this entire episode, but I cannot yeah, get past the lifeguard party <laughs> celebrating no one That's drowning what it is. and Jerome drowning. It's not even so just... That to, it's too it's much. It's not even just that it's it was a lifeguard much. party. It's that it was a party that was, was being thrown specifically to celebrate an incident-free summer. Yeah. And one of Jerome. their attendees drowns. The irony it's might Jerome. put it over the, the top. The irony might put it over the top, That's... especially since, like, okay, we lost a lot of people in World War One. Like, yeah. it yeah. was an unlucky circumstance. Definitely Very. horrible. Hate that for him. However, you are at the front line of but World War One. You're the front line of World War One. So I think you're right. I think Jerome mm-hmm. might take you. A pool party attended exclusively you by lifeguards. You would end. assume would be a very safe party the to attend. The safest party to attend and swim. Yeah. At. Yeah. Now, if you went to like, if you went to like a like a, a, a like a ropes course party with a bunch of lifeguards, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, not their natural Whatever. element. Yeah. I could still fall and die. But a pool party. Pool party, you would figure, I've never been safer. They let their guard down for Ooh, just a moment. Good one. Good one. What if, good. What if? because we seem to be a little torn here, do you want your listeners to chime in on this? Oh. Have them maybe vote? See yeah. if maybe they've also got maybe a different opinion than, than you That's guys. That's true. We I know. Maybe they're like, it. it's this one story that none of y'all even consider. Why not? But I, I think it's Jerome. But listeners, you let us know. My goodness. Yeah. I actually want to end on a, um, because I don't think we can really rank them all. I think it's so subjective as as to who's the, like, such interesting situations. I would definitely say Jerome, Jerome and Henry Gunther. Henry Henry Gunther. Up there at the top. I would say Meteorite. I would say Anne is pretty high up there, too. She lived, though. Also, the bullet in the tree. The bullet in the tree. The bullet in the tree is bad. Because he died, and And that is cray cray. He did die. So maybe he's up there with with the three deads. (laughs) He got destination, so. What about Jean, though? Do we think because. Oh, (laughs) Jean! Oh, she's up there. (laughs) Struck multiple times by lightning, attacked by a bat. 
And had Pulled Fred Mr. Rogers become a flasher, so. Pants mm. off. Yeah. She's pretty high. Jean's up there. She's up there. Drowning at a lifeguard party high? No, listen, Ooh. I agree. She's, She's like second. She's That's second, why I'm yeah. saying we can't rank them all. How would we possibly yeah, rank them all? Yeah, I know. You're right, you're right. So, listeners, we brought up some of the so you let us know. Help. Let us know. But I did want to because, listen, listening to an entire episode of of Unlucky unlucky stuff can be (laughs) depressing. So I had two very quick, like, unlucky but extremely lucky things to throw in. So show you, to balance the scales, to show you that, like, things can look up. I like it. The first presidential assassination attempt in United States history. An unemployed house painter named Richard Lawrence attempted to assassinate Andrew Jackson once right outside the Capitol in Washington, D.C. At the time, Andrew Jackson was pretty old. He was pretty frail. He walked with a cane. Should have been a piece of cake. But... Lawrence stepped forward. He raised his Derringer single-shot pistol, took aim at Jackson's heart, and fired. Bang! Smoke filled the air. People are screaming. But no bullet. It misfired. Lawrence was like, fine. Pulled a second pistol out. Aimed it right at Andrew Jackson's heart. Bang! Smoke fills the air. Everyone screams. No bullet. The second gun misfired as well. Two different guns. At this point, obviously, Lawrence had been fully tackled to the ground. Andrew had been rushed away. But what's really weird... Damn. Is that when authorities tested the guns afterwards, they fired both properly on the first try. Oh, and my God. Experts say, <laughs> oh, experts say the odds jeez. that both weapons would randomly misfire were 1 in 125,000. Wow, 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 wow. I was going to say, because that could That's just be wild. back in the day, you know, that guy's powder yeah. could just be wet. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, it could have been human error. But the fact that they right. worked immediately after on the first try, crazy. Weird. That, that just sounds unlucky, like divine lucky. intervention. That gun was not supposed yeah, to divine intervention. Apparently not. shoot a bullet. Now this other one, insane. I can't believe I've never heard this story. This would be seen as incredibly unlucky, I think, had not for all three of these people surviving. In 1992, three men, Chris Duddy, a 31-year-old film technician, and Michael Benson, a 49-year-old cameraman, along with the pilot of this helicopter were flying over the vent of a Kilauea volcano in Hawaii. I don't like this. They were flying over to get some shots for whatever news program they were working for or whatever. I don't know. I didn't look okay. into that. The helicopter lost power randomly, so oh. suddenly. The pilot, Craig Hosking, didn't even have time to radio for help, and the helicopter crashed into the volcano... Onto the hot crater floor, narrowly missing a bubbling lava pool. The men were all sort of separated in the cavern, so they couldn't, they didn't really even know that the other men were still alive. Like, they were shouting, they could, like, hear some things, but they were kind of separated. They started to try to climb the rim, but the interior wall of the volcano crumbled so easily that every move they made threatened to create a rock slide, which would have been another horrible way to die in a volcano. But somehow, they're in this volcano. They happen to not land in the lava. They also happen to land in a small part of the crater where some fresh air was circulating down from the rim, so they weren't breathing in I was going to say methane. Hydrogen sulfide Ugh. and sulfur right. dioxide. 
Oh my God. Hoskins what? made his way. Luckiest the people. Luckiest people. Hoskins made his way back to the helicopter and got the radio to work and called for help. Another help uh, helicopter was able to fly low enough into the volcano's cone to get the pilot on board, but the other two men couldn't make it to that helicopter Aww. and they were left behind. Mm. 27 um. hours later. After the crash, Duddy had somehow managed to climb and reach the lip of the volcano. But again, Benson was still left inside. After two days without sleep or food, drinking rainwater cupped in his hands because it luckily rained. Oh my God. Thank God. Um, A helicopter pilot who's still searching for him got a glimpse of him through a momentary break in the steam and they finally managed to get him out with a rescue net. All three men survived mm-hmm. with minor cuts and bruises. That's insane. Uh, that's They're insane. the luckiest. That, yeah, that is pure luck because everything that surrounded that was just pure luck. They should have died like 18 yes. Literally. Years. That is There's crazy. There's so many reasons they should not be Whoa. alive. Like, I can't believe that happened uh. to them. So, listeners, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh my god, luck is so scary... Luck can also be pretty fucking cool. It can be on your side. Wow. Right, Joe? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> right. yeah. Okay, well, we hope we uh, we made your Friday the 13th a spooky one. Um, this was a lot of fun. Hope so. Hope Jason Voorhees liked it. I hope Jason Voorhees liked it enough to not come after us. <laughs> yes. That was good. That was good. Before we go, do you want to tell them how much you love Jason Takes Manhattan? That's the worst movie ever made. Yeah. Okay. Well. Okay. All right. Thank you for Bye your everybody. review, Joe. That was a very good review. Very short. That was good. And sweet very short. Of, uh, Jason. Jason, Jason, Jason Takes Manhattan. The entirety of that movie takes place outside of Manhattan until yeah. the one shot of him in Times Square <laughs> at the end of the movie. No. Terrible. All right. Well. All right. Uh, and thank there you, you have guys it. so much for listening. As usual, we hope you're having a very, very spooky October. Join us next week. We will be uh, joined by the monster man himself, Billy Roach. Woo! Will be with us. My boy Billy. Billy. We love Billy. And we are talking about monsters once again. We're talking about some classic monsters that you all have heard of, and one DC monster that you have also in. heard of. Um, and he slipped in there. It's a really, really great episode. It We've is. already recorded it. We had a lot of fun. Ooh. And after that. Listener ghost story. It's gonna be a spooky month. But in the meantime, thank you so much. Make sure you're following us on social media at Keep It Weirdcast. Have a great week and keep it, it weird. weird. Keep it weird.